0: Welcome or welcome back to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Alan Dunn and I, Niels Karsterblasen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. If you're new to the show, I hope that today's episode will trigger your curiosity enough to check out the back catalogue and listen to the past episodes that you may have missed, like last week's episode with Mark, where we discussed some of the most current topics that is being discussed in our industry at the moment, including the latest paper from AQR that asked the questions... Is it too late to invest in trend following? Also, I would like to really encourage you to listen to the midweek episode where Alan, who's with me today, spoke to the CIO of SVB Private Bank, Shannon Sarkozy, to find out how private banks invest their client money and, of course, if they are considering using trend following in the future. Alan... Great to be back with you this week. How are things going in Dublin? Are there any Christmas lights out,
1: or is Dublin saving the energy this year? Things are good. Yeah, it's um, I, no, I, I think people are not really uh, saving under electricity when it comes to turning on the Christmas lights. There's plenty around and uh, more to be switched on around here, I think, later today, actually. So, um, yeah, no, the, the, the festive cheer is starting to, to take hold for sure.
0: It's it's funny how that is. We've spent so much, so much, so long time now talking about the this energy crisis, right? And then when it comes to Christmas, people kind of forget, <laughs> exactly. you know, to do the sensible thing. But uh, but there we are. Now we are recording on the second of December, um, and therefore we will focus on, of course, a lot of the events from the whole month of. November, we may even get an a, a non farm payroll figure while we're talking. So everyone, everything we, we we may say may be completely you know invalidated by the point where the time the the markets close tonight. We'll see. Um, but there were some really significant trend reversals in November, as officials from the U.S. Central Bank hinted that they may decide to reduce future rate hikes sooner rather than later. Uh, this sentiment has been building up, uh, to be fair, for a few weeks uh, and pretty much all the sectors that trend followers trade saw some uh, change in direction. However, we should, of course, not be surprised to see the stock market rally during the month of November. Over the last 20 years, November has been the second strongest month for the year, for the S&P 500, as it gained on average 1.8%, being positive 75% of the time. And this year turned out to be no different and the S&P 500 decided to add to its historic seasonality by gaining 5.38%, closing at 4,080. Perhaps the question investors should be asking is, did the Christmas rally come early this year? After all, it's been a year that has been pretty much anything but normal. Markets have generally seen an increase in volatility when I look at all the markets that we trade, which is not unusual during a period of elevated uncertainty. And generally speaking, This is not a problem for trend-following strategies as we size our positions according to the levels of volatility and other factors. It's part of the adapted nature of the strategy, you might say. But all investors don't necessarily like the high degree of volatility in the monthly returns uh, of their strategies. They prefer this smooth ride that people like Bernie Madoff created out of thin air or the 20% yield that you could get in the crypto world, allegedly without any risk, until they realized that it was just another Ponzi scheme. And I was reminded by my colleague Mike what the famous investor Howard Marks wrote about volatility in his recent memo. He says, Warren Buffett always puts it best, and on this topic he usually says... We prefer a lumpy 15% return to a smooth 12% return. Investors who rather have the reverse, who find a smooth 12%, preferably to a lumpy 15%, should ask themselves whether their aversion to volatility is mostly financial or mostly emotional. Of course, the choices made by employees, investment committee members, and hired investment managers may have to reflect real-world considerations. People in charge of institutional portfolios can have valid reasons for avoiding ups and downs that their organizations or clients might be able to stomach in financial terms but would still find unpleasant. All anyone can do is the best they can under their particular circumstances. My bottom line is, in many cases, people accord volatility far more importance than they should. So I thought that was pretty um, insightful from Good old Warren, um, Alan. So uh, I don't know what's been on your mind. And when you look back on November 2022, what you're going to be remembering for?
1: Yeah, well, I think, as I said, some big, big reversals, um, you know, particularly in currencies. I think it's been very interesting um, and we're getting a bit of volatility, it looks like. Short-term reversal today with uh, payrolls look like they've come out a bit stronger and the dollar is up a bit, but but it's been interesting we've had such a, a, a correction in that, well, reversal of the dollar strength, which had been such an important theme. Um, uh, for you know, going back uh, really uh, throughout this year, and you know, for dollar yen, you know, very interestingly, uh, ironically, the Bank of Japan uh, proved to be very successful with their intervention, which is, uh, you know, uh, you know, I started off working in currency markets and intervention was never successful at least not straight away it, you always uh, kind of got to test the central bank a number of times but this time the bank of japan were very i think fortuitous with their timing They sold dollar yen on the 21st of october which happened to coincide with the day that uh, u.s yields peaked as well so um, and 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 obviously since then we've uh, you know we seem to have had a big long liquidation in in that trade obviously a very attractive uh, Kind of carry trade, uh, so it's kind of reminiscent of, of of kind of previous rallies we've seen in in dollar yen. So. Um you know, remains to be seen if if that's the turn. But but certainly that kind of weaker dollar has been part of the narrative around, you know, the the favourable scenario for, for for risk assets uh, that we've seen in the last while. I think obviously, you know, Powell speaking during the week was really interesting too. And um, you know, if if you kind of read what he said, it, it, there wasn't actually that much new in it. But there was something about his demeanour or how he presented it seemed to be much more uh, balanced. Uh, there was no kind of tough talk like we saw at Jackson Hole or at, like we saw in the last uh, press uh, conference post uh, FOMC. So, you know, it, you know, it's very often uh, what's not said or the manner of the communication can be as important. So I, I, I think that was interesting, that subtle shift that, that really the market seized on and, and jumped on very aggressively.
0: We've seen this a few times this year, actually, where the media kind of... Uh, picks a few things that's not really necessarily what he said, but that what they kind of like him to have said or or meant. Um, And so we've had a lot of these sort of uh, bear market rallies um, so far this year. And of course, I think a lot of people at the end of the day must be thinking, uh, or at least considering whether this is just another... Uh, bear market rally, although it has been pretty fierce. I mean, I will say, I think that uh, you actually mentioned before we started recording that the uh, is the S and P up seventeen percent so from the
1: low in the Dow in October twenty over twenty percent from yeah uh, the Yeah, the Dow is probably
0: yeah. up even more. Yeah. You know, which is not you know it's not uh, it's not a small amount. Uh, and of course, as you said, when I look at trend followers uh, during the month of uh, of uh, November. Um, for sure, um, you know, things like the currencies, the yen, Swiss franc maybe uh, as well, uh, they certainly benefited from a weaker dollar, so, so a lot of um, give back of profits. I wouldn't even call it losses, it's just giving back some of the open profits really um, for these trend followers um, during the month. And of course also uh, yields dropping quite significantly suddenly in, the, uh, in particular in the U.S., Europe, a little bit different. I think they're a little bit, uh, they're obviously behind the curve in terms of rate hikes. And I think they're talking a little bit uh, tougher, if you can, even even though Christine Lagarde, I think when she visited Ireland, Alan, what's in your water over there? Because she said that inflation had come out of thin air
1: so, I know. Yeah. I don't
0: know what she was on when she made that comment, but anyway, she was on a popular
1: um, uh, talk show here. It was kind of an unusual to see her appearing in that that kind of domain, but uh, that uh, it certainly raised eyebrows when she suggested inflation came out of nowhere, um, for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, nowhere. That's what she said. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, other than that, I would say um, equities, I know we just talked about that there have been some pretty significant bear market rallies uh, across uh, the globe. I do think depending on your time frame, I think trend followers will have mixed positions. I don't think it's like fixed income where probably everyone are, are short. But I think with with equities, um, there probably are some, some longs and maybe there were some longs that... That came into um, uh, you know during the month of November some some shorts that flipped into longs etc. So um, yeah probably not the, the the sector that has had the biggest uh, contribution contribution in the month of November. And uh, other than that when I look around I would say probably grains were okay overall um, and maybe other sectors that probably didn't do so well I would say softs meats metals. Uh, I would suspect that's probably where we're going to see some of the losses. But generally speaking, I think when if people looked inside a trend-following portfolio, they would realize how broad-based the reversals were. I would say probably all sectors, maybe except for one, lost money. Uh, and I would say also if you look at individual markets, um, most of them would have given back some profits during the month of November. Now, uh, my own trend barometer finished the month at 25. So that certainly confirms the early numbers that we've seen um, for the industry. So very weak reading. So that should really confirm that we're going to have a, a, a difficult month uh, in terms of performance Um and if we just kind of go through that um, before we dive into some of the other topics, uh, the B top fifty looks like it's going to be down four and three quarters, still up fourteen and fourteen point fourteen for the year. SOCGEN CTA index down about five, still up twenty and a quarter for the year. The trend index down about five and three quarters, still up twenty seven and three quarters for the year and the short term traders index um also found it difficult down about 1% up 11.46 so of course compared to the traditional asset classes like the MSCI World up almost 7% but still down 16 for the year and the S&P 500 up more than 5% for the month but still down 14 and a quarter for the year and finally the world government bond index in a rare move it was actually up 2% for for the month of November we haven't seen that uh, for a while um what's your takeaway I know you wanted also to touch maybe on on November from a CTA uh, point of view managed futures broader uh, you may see other yeah. numbers than I do um.
1: I mean I, I think obviously it's it was you know we, the kind of give back that we've been expecting at some point um you know it was the worst month for the for the trend and CTA indices since uh, February. 2018 um you know obviously the numbers on the private placement side are just coming through i think you know uh, with trend followers a, a typical vol you'll probably see managers then um you know eight nine percent kind of level won't, won't be unusual this month if you look at um the mutual fund data for, for trend followers, uh, you've seen losses up to kind of down ten percent in some cases. And generally speaking, you know, it, albeit some exceptions, the managers who kind of had outperformed to to date on that side on the the mutual fund side seem to suffer a little bit more. Um, in in. Um, in in November, but um, you know, uh, I, you know, the, 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 I, th- I think that was kind of the, 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 the my main observation there. Obviously, you know, as you say, we, we, we kind of it's interesting. We were in kind of a bit of a, a vicious circle, you know, earlier in the year in terms of the con- concern about inflation pushing down bonds, uh, also pushing up the uh, up 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 to dollar, um, and and that all kind of un- unwound during during the month. So as you say, it wasn't just. You know, uh, in one market, it was very much across... Currency, a number of currencies obviously uh and across uh, fixed income and even commodities pretty choppy but it is remarkable that we we've had quite a turn in sentiment like if, I, I remember being on i think it was two months ago we were talking about you know the sterling crisis and uh, the problem with with pensions in the uk and and uk yields were kind of heading towards 10 percent sorry five percent now they're back to three percent and and sterling has obviously had a big rally so i think the combination of the better inflation story uh obviously in the uk case a bit more sensible policies with with respect to fiscal policy have all triggered this uh, uh you know reversal so uh, you know i think it's pretty much a typical give back uh, for, for for trend following and, and managed futures um we had expected it to come at some point so um you know i would say yeah it's it's a big down month but but that's what you would get uh, at, at, after the, after a, a strong period of uh, performance a couple of things, sir, on on what you just
0: said. One is, and I think it's important for for people maybe to appreciate um, the the magnitude of some of these moves. You mentioned sterling. As far as I remember, it went all the way down to about 105 against the dollar. Yeah, I think even lower. And maybe 1 last 3, time yeah. I looked, I think yes, yeah. yeah. And last time I looked, I think yesterday it was like one twenty-two. Mm. I mean, that's a, this is like this is a currency move that you don't see in a year. Normally, right? Um, so, so it is obviously tricky, and it does lead to higher levels of volatility, also in the returns. But let's not forget. And of course, I have to speak for just from from the from the firm that I work for, because that's where I know the numbers. But I would say even a, a down month like this, which is obviously a healthy down month, let's call it that. It's still about only half of the up months we've seen some of the uh, during the year meaning we've been up we've had monthly returns that are more than double of the give back we saw in november so it's really not a a big thing uh, like that and and frankly the way i would phrase it is that first of all i would say in general i think volatility um, is uh, going to continue to be elevated I think we've moved into a new regime. I think people uh, have, who have listened to the podcast before they know my stance on, on this um, and the opportunities it'll, it'll provide for um, adaptive and directionally-based uh, strategies, active strategies. Um, but also um, these um, givebacks or these corrections in performance uh, or however we call them, uh, hopefully will provide some good entry points for those investors. And there must be so many of them who uh, missed uh, 2022 from a trend-following point of view because they were, uh, I think, the last few years um, just not focusing on on trend being a, a great diversifier. Um, so, so there's both positives and negatives. Of course, if you just invested a month ago, it's going to feel a little bit sore, but... Uh, this is a long term uh game and uh if you look at rolling 10 year returns they're pretty healthy actually so um so yeah um anything else you want to
1: No i guess the, talk the about? other thing i you know uh, it's hard to make uh, observations on the, on the dispersion you know without seeing a, a broader suite of kind of uh returns yet but but i would imagine that kind of more faster breakout models might have been quicker to respond to to the moves and and may have done a bit better um, I know the you know there's the the 40 day um, breakout system that uh, Andrew uh, Strassman uh, publishes that that was down 2.8% on the month so it's so not a bad month so, and and obviously that's what you'd expect in the in periods of kind of trend reversals that a faster system would be, um, you know, obviously a, a bit quicker to, to to exit those trends. So it'd be interesting to see um, that as as the kind of the full set of return numbers come out. But but th- that's, th- that would be a reasonable expectation, I would say.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's true. Um, even though the short-term traders index, um, you know, proportionally based on its volatility, also had a down month, but of course a little bit better. A little bit better, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, a little bit better as it should be. Alrighty, Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, trying to make sense of this equity rally from your uh, perspective, looking maybe also back uh, at some historical um, events and periods, so I'd love to... Here, where we're going to go with uh, with this section, uh, Alan?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. And by the
0: way, may, maybe searching to interrupt yeah. you, I mean, we kind of teased it before that job numbers came in a little bit stronger, but they came in, as far as I can tell, at 263,000. That's somewhat stronger than than what the estimates that I had seen. Um, so... How, whatever, however they do the massaging of these numbers, they keep surprising to the to the upside always, um, even though people continue to want to uh, or hope for kind of weaker numbers, weaker economies so that the Fed can really pivot. Um,
1: no, you're but- right, and I think the other number is the uh, average hourly earnings were up uh, 0.6 um, on the month and 5.1 year on year. And I think that's important because in the in his speech this week powell kind of split out the different drivers of inflation between goods and um the, the one that he really focuses on was uh, core services which he says is the, their view is core services is heavily influenced by wage growth so, so certainly 0.6 on the month you know uh, that's uh, you know over over seven percent annualized so, so that's not going to uh, be consistent with with kind of the you know the the uh well with, 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 certainly not with easing anytime soon obviously you have the whole whole. it's a double
0: of, pivot it's not just a pivot it's a double pivot
1: yeah, exactly but um, but yeah no it's it's been interesting and um, there's been a a, a a bit written around the equity rally not just i, I think two things one it, it's been interesting if you look at the internals um you know and this was earlier in the month as well that even you know the the, the uh, s&p 500 had only recovered somewhat but if you looked into the individual stocks, which is not something I do a whole lot of, but but certainly somebody had pointed out to me, you know, a lot of names like Caterpillar were up close to the highs, Walmart, the same, close to the highs, Johnson Johnson, Coca-Cola, a lot of names like that. And generally, industrial stocks, uh, healthcare had had been doing well, even in the face of that, that kind of equity rally, which I thought was interesting. I was trying to understand, like, what was that telling us about the overall market? And then obviously, as the month progressed, rest you know we we had a more generalized rally and you know, as we said, the Dow up twenty percent from the lows, um, and now people kind of, you know, we're, we're, it's probably a sufficient of a rally for people to be thinking in terms of, you know, maybe this can go back to to new ha- highs, at least in the case of 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 the Dow, which seemed, you know, it seems surprising. At the same time, we've got this inverted yield curve, and we've got this general um, expectation of of a recession next year. So, kind of hard to 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 reconcile all of that. So I was trying to think, well, what what is it? What what are all of these kind of divergent um, signals saying to us? So I think I think to some extent people are buying into the disinflation narrative for the moment, you know. And um, obviously we we talked about Powell. One of the things he did talk about um, is you know I mentioned there he's he kind of parsed the inflation data. And one of the things that, that 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 the Fed is kind of increasingly focused on is obviously the housing side of thing and rents and the fact that in the CPI and and in the PCE, the uh, the the rent number is basically uh, isn't as sensitive to, it, 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 to to kind of the the changes that you get in 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 new leases. It's more kind of the the average of over the last twelve months. um And there's an economist, uh, Jason Furman, who has done some interesting work on this. He used to be. Uh, chair of the council of economic advisors and he's, he's published some some stuff showing that if you if you substituted spot rents as he would call it into the to the cpi and the pce i think the core pce is down to something like um 3.8 percent annualized over the last three months now what the data does show is actually, if you went on that measure, inflation was even higher back in kind of 2001 and, and early 2002. But there is a sense that the official housing uh, number is, is very much lagging. And if you use the more sensitive number, um, that that would show a better inflation picture. And I think that's part of the, the story that, that people are, are seizing on. Obviously, goods prices have already fallen. Um, you know, we've all heard the stories about used cars, etc., but so I think that's certainly part of this uh, story that we're seeing playing out. That said, it is a very unusual cycle if you look at what we've seen in equities relative to history. You know, if you think back to the past, often what you saw is that the equity market would rally you know, early in the tightening cycle that, you know, the people would be focused on the strength of the economy. And actually, uh, equities would be able to withstand higher rates initially. But then you get to a point where monetary policy gets tight. And that was typically the point where you get equity selling off. So if you go back to, say, 99, equities were rallying, the Fed were tightening into early 2000. And it was only when rates got up to whatever it was then. I think five and a half six percent that the market cracked the same you had a tightening cycle 03 to 06 very incremental equities rallied in that period it was only when rates got up to above 5% in, in 07, you know, that that the market uh, uh, started to to turn down. And then again, 2016, 17, 18, you know, initially the, the equities could rally in the face of higher rates, uh, but now, but then turned down when, when when policy got, you know, to tight level. We're seeing the opposite of that now this year, which is unusual. So equities have sold off as the, the tightening cycle has begun. But we're only now entering what you know restrictive, as the Fed is talking about. But at the same time, you know, financial conditions seem to be easing, and the market is rallying. So, um, I know a lot of people have have written about Bridgewater in particular, how it would be unusual for equities to bottom and rally, you know, in 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 the midst of a tightening cycle. It's normally when when the Fed kind of shifts to an easing cycle. Uh, but this is a very unusual cycle because they're raising rates, but at the same time, financial conditions now appear to be easing. So are we still in a tightening cycle at all? Um, So I I do find this um, quite difficult to kind of get an overall uh, sense on. I mean, I did look back historically to see, have we seen anything similar to this in terms of magnitudes of moves? I've always felt that the kind of 2000, 2002 you know, Dan, move was going to be a, an analog. You know, particularly given the 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 kind of the fraughtiness around technology that we've seen in recent years, and we saw that back then. And it, we, you know, if you go back to that period, you had an initial sell-off in equities, and there was a twenty percent rally in the Dow between uh, March and and May two thousand and one. Uh, there was another rally then in 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 November of that year, before and and then the market turned down again. So it's entirely possible that we are just up and down in in, in a very choppy period. And, uh, you know, just because we've had this big move up in equities, you know, you might interpret it as saying that's a signaling a fairly a, a better a, it could be signaling a better uh, economic outlook that, that, than many of the forecasters are suggesting, or it could be just uh, flow driven and, and and we're still broadly in in that, um, in that range. So I do think it's it's a, a, a very um, unusual um uh, cycle. And the, the last point that I just wanted to touch on, and, and it very much links in with, with the conversation that we had with Bill White going back. You know, we've had this shift in rates from, you know, 0% up to 4 we're and we're heading to 5 It's an enormous shift in one year and we don't know what what the economic impact is going to be. You know, everybody says that the the, the lags are long and variable, but they're also very uncertain and and we don't know um, how that's going to play out. Uh, And if you listen to the Bill White interview, he is very much in that camp that, you know, economic models are very often based on, linear stable relationships when in fact there's a lot of non-linearity out there and that's why you sometimes can get these non-linear responses and and it's that's one thing that's you know i've been thinking about lately and delving into is you know the whole excess savings that we had uh, built up uh, from the consumers uh, during the pandemic that they're gradually being whittled away but um it's in, it's possible at some point that they get diminished to such an extent that then you see the impact of higher rates uh, on the economy. Um, the data on the savings rate out this week actually show the U.S. savings rate down to 2.4 percent, the lowest, you know, very close to to historical lows. So, on a yeah, and obviously that that's a flow measure, so that's saying how much are people saving out of their current income. They still have that stock of excess savings that they built up uh, during the uh, during the pandemic. But but if that gets um, if that gets basically run down at some point, you could have, as one economist called it, the wily e. coyote moment, where you know consumers look down and realise they don't have any savings left. So, I think um, you know, hard to put put put, put, a, put a narrative on, on 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 what's going on. You know, is the rally uh, indicating better times ahead or not? Uh, I I think the key thing is that is is the the lag with which monetary policy impacts, and and that's very hard to to assess. So I. You know, personally, obviously, pretty cautious about the, the equity market at, at these levels. Uh, but I do think um, that that's going to be the interesting story as, as we go into next year is what, what, what changes both on the economy and obviously probably something we'll talk about a little bit later on investor behavior as well. Do we get from this big jump in rates from, from, from basically from 0% to 5%?
0: Yeah, so just a a few things to unpack there. First of all, I think also, and you may know this better than I do, but I also think there's some data out suggesting that actually um, that people may have still some savings left. However, their credit card debt has gone up uh, significantly again. So how much uh, savings they really have left, uh, I, I don't know. The other thing uh, I was going to say is that, by first of all, I was going to say it was a fantastic conversation that uh, you had with Bill White, It really one of those that you can go back and listen to a couple of times and and, and pick out a few new nuggets, I think. Um, one of the things that obviously was really concerning and a bit scary, um, because he is an insider, I mean, he knows these central bankers, at least the way they used to operate, I'm sure they operate the same way, um, is the fact that he was saying, well, they're actually looking at, they're using the wrong models and they're looking, they're worried about the wrong Things and I thought that was pretty uh, insightful. Um, so, um, so, anyways, but I also wanted to point out something that you may have also seen floating around on Twitter. There is this chart back from the nineteen sixties of the Dow, no, the S and P five hundred. Sorry, um, that talks about when the uh, when bear markets end following a Fed pivot. And actually, even going back to the 1960s, where there's been seven, uh, six, I can see here, um, big bear markets uh, between 27% down in around uh, 1980, thereabouts, and then the biggest one was the 58% down in the uh, great financial crisis. But all of these seems to uh, find it their low about nine months after the Fed pivots. So, I mean, I agree with you. This has been such an unusual period, meaning, I mean, who would have thought that the markets would rally so strongly after COVID, right, where you thought the whole economy was shutting down? Maybe we know now that this was probably just because of all that liquidity that came in, but I don't think a lot of people had expected it at the time, Um But vice versa, um, we could say, well, normally what should happen is that there's going to be still a period of time before equity markets find their low because the Fed is not even thinking about, well, they may be thinking about um, lowering rates, but they haven't even talked about stopping uh, hiking rates. So it's very, very premature to even think about a pivot, a real pivot. Um, And therefore, if we then have to wait another nine months before equities really find their low, it could be a while under normal circumstances. And and of course, this is also why we keep uh, trying to um, compel people to look at trend following, where we don't have to do, make these predictions because who knows what the future will hold and who knows when it's a normal cycle and when it's not a normal cycle. Um, but I, had heard, I have heard some very clever people, uh, I will say, who don't expect this time to be the low. Um, and in fact, expect some kind of weakness going into Q1 of next year, and then maybe, like uh, I think Simon Hunt we had on uh, also recently, um, you know, looking at his cycle work, which I think is very interesting. Um, and I've heard others who also look at cycles expecting the low to show up, um, you know, Q1 next year, um, at, at least for, for for, and then you know, some kind of rally after that. So we'll we'll see. It'll be exciting. It'll be interesting, and uh, no doubt it'll be. Uh, volatile um which will um yeah, yeah. which will make it uh, what, one more one other
1: thing that we just kind of not directly related but it's a, it's a it's a theme and topic I've talked about before that um is it came back to the fore this week but it's around the Fed's inflation target um, so if you if you go back uh about what is it, about 12 years ago uh, Olivier Blanchard wrote a, a famous kind of piece saying the Fed's inflation target should actually be 4%. Now, he he had a, an article in the FT again this week uh, saying, well, maybe not 4 but certainly it could be 3 uh, And Powell was asked about this uh, during the week as well. He kind of said, well, I think the next time th- this will be reviewed will be next year, the year after, something like that. But, but it's definitely something that's creeping back in. Um, kind of was being talked about on the fringes, I would have said, maybe for a few months, but now it's actually coming back to the forward. So I, I think it's definitely something that we're going to hear more about in the next one to two years. So people listening to us uh, today, Alan, might think, well, what's the difference whether it's
0: two or three? All I would say is uh, this is purely based on historical data, right? So from 2000 to 2019, the average inflation was about two, let's call it that, roughly. And in, from 1982 to 1999, it was just about 3%. But the performance of trend followers in the first period, 1982 to 1999, was so much stronger than the performance in the 2% inflation period. I'm not saying that it's just the inflation that kind of creates these opportunities, but it's a fact that these two were only different by one percent, but the performance probably was on average twice uh, in the f- first period than in the uh, in the latter period. So, uh, and of course, we've seen what, and again, we can't give all the credit to inflation, but we've seen twenty twenty two where inflation has gone up uh, to more than three percent. Um, and what opportunities that the uh, trend-following industry has had to work with, and, and that's been pretty encouraging.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I, I, and I mean, I think the point is, if, if the kind of official target is 3%, then, you know, 3%, 4 5% is n- levels, levels of inflation won't be unusual, that, that, uh, which is kind of what we were used to back in, in kind of the, you know, 1990s. So, as you say, if you're back into that type of environment, um, you know, it's 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 a higher nominal return environment uh, as well, but 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 certainly consistent with with more you would you would think more um uh, more more opportunities for 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 the likes of trend followers. What do you think is most important for trend followers? The fact
0: that we have two percent or three percent, or whether we have stable inflation or unstable
1: inflation? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously variability in, in in inflation is probably the key thing, as you say. Um, you know, and and that's what. Uh, um, that was part of the challenge, you, you know. I know you you were talking to uh, Mark about the AQR paper last week, and you know I've done work on this before. You know, we had low macro volatility in the last decade. We had, um, you know, you had secular stagnation. You had inflation, kind of, you know, between zero and one, zero to one and a half percent, and the same the world over. You know, uh, no divergences in, in 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 really in in rates. Similar inflation picture across the world, whereas now you know it's the complete opposite. You've got
0: globalization, globalization stable, now. You've a world. Yeah, so
1: you can write a long <laughs> list of um, of of things. I think uh, you know I agree with what you said on that as well. I mean, people do focus on the macro, which is very important. You know, there certainly was less macro volatility, but um, you know when, when 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 we were reviewing that period as well. And breaking it down, like it was very much, you know, two two of the asset classes that always came out as being very difficult in that period. One was currency trading, you know, and and that was, uh, you know, reflecting what we were saying, you know, less divergences between the trading nations it results in less volatility and less big directional moves. And the other thing was agricultural commodities were were very, um, you know, tough to trade. Uh, you know, not a lot of, um, not very profitable for for trend followers in that period as well. And that's kind of more, that could be more to that weather story um, uh, that you've been talking about or just less random factors, you know, um, droughts, uh, you know, uh, w- w- weather impul- impulses, um, you know, but so I think when you're thinking about the opportunity set for, for for trend following, yes, macro volatility is part of it. It's not the only thing, you know, random um, factors will impact on individual markets, particularly in the commodity space. And we did seem to have fewer of those kind of uh, very significant random events in that period as well.
0: Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, Simon Hunt, uh, we had on a, a, a couple of weeks ago, he had some very, um, let's sort of say, non-consensus views based on his uh, analysis and cycle analysis. Um, and, but for all that I know, um, he could be perfectly uh, correct. Uh, and one of the things, of course, that he also mentioned was these cycles that affects uh, the weather and global warming, uh, and I found that quite fascinating. Um, and I heard I had heard him speak about this a, a couple of years back. So there's no doubt. I mean, this is an area that I want to dig into a little bit more. Uh, and in fact, we we did so. Uh, and I think it's uh, on Wednesday um, that we're going to bring out this next interview, which is specifically on uh, upcoming weather volatility and what that means for for, uh, for for the for the globe, but also what it means for markets. Um, and I think this is something, if these guys are right in terms of um, the, the outlook for weather volatility uh, and therefore volatility in markets that are, you know, uh, reliant on on, on on the climate and, and on weather, um, trend followers or CTAs, diversified trend followers and CTAs, Um, hopefully might get a really unique opportunity set um, because there aren't that many strategies. I mean, yes, you can buy a few long-only commodity indices, but we've also seen this year how hard it can be because everybody loved the story in March, but they have been burned kind of hard uh, ever since because these commodities did not continue to just go higher. Um, And we see this uh, a lot, that the cycles are typically more down in terms of length then they are up so it's a very hard thing to have in your portfolio um unlike a an actively managed long short exposure to commodities where in fact you know we can do well when we have these um uh, large down cycles. so w- whatever the whatever the cycles are going to be i think and active uh, exposure to commodities. And, and I don't mean just metals and, and energy, but but all the, the softs and the grains and, and all of those wonderful commodities could be um, very interesting uh, as we look into 2023. Did you want to talk more about? Uh, well, actually, we should probably continue a little bit about. You had a point about the role of diversified managed futures uh, portfolio. You had you wanted to generally maybe also talk about as we move towards the end of the year, uh, maybe performance of of this year before we look into uh, next year.
1: Yeah. Well, I just really wanted to touch on um, short term uh, traders a little bit as well. Um, it's, not something that, yeah, you know, sure. it's something that you know something comes up every now and then. We haven't really delved into it. Um, and you touched on, I touched on a little bit how maybe fast trend might might have held up a little bit better this month. And you mentioned the short-term traders index, and um, I think you know from an allocator's perspective, it you know short-term traders are interesting in in a kind of diversified managed futures offering. And when I'm talking about short-term uh, strategies, we're typically talking about anything from kind of intraday out to maybe ten day. Trading with, with an average hold would be kind of one to five days, and what you tend to find in, in the short term space is a mix of kind of mean reversion and momentum. There can be sometimes managers may have some uh, intermarket or, or macro inputs, and 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 uh, you know you often see uh, machine learning techniques too. Uh, you know the, the reason why it can be interesting in a, in a kind of diversified managed futures um, offering is is it can be uncorrelated at times to, to trend. Obviously, you're capturing a different type of return, a different source of alpha as well. It's Obviously, it's a mix of, you know, you can have fast momentum, but you have also mean reversion strategies. And you're typically... You know, you're you're, you're capturing uh, momentum. You, 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 often the strategies are capturing behavioural uh, elements to, to to trading particular patterns that have been observed historically. Often driven by kind of behavioural biases. Sometimes the the managers are trying to capture what you might call institutional frictions, or the fact that certain market participants trade at certain times of the month or in certain uh, positions. You know, say with respect to rebalancing and things like that. And and sometimes you you know the manager are trying to capture and um, lead lag relationships kind of intermarket relationships so it is an interesting uh, diversifier for, for for a trend portfolio historically what you've seen with short-term traders is generally their performance has done well in periods of of rising market volatility so basically as you get more you know um, expanding daily ranges uh, that's a bigger opportunity set if you can think about it that way for managers that are trading qu- kind of intraday and, and, and one to two days. Um, sometimes the managers, you know, from an allocation perspective, the return profile can is often similar to kind of a Kind of a long vol type strategy. Often the return profile is convex. There's a you know positive uh, skew. Uh, So so often the managers are in that space are are trying to deliver that kind of strong return in in the periods of of higher vol. So from from a kind of a, a a diversified managed futures portfolio. If you have trend following, um, you know obviously trend following is the the, the biggest um, uh, strategy within managed futures and the most dominant. So if you're trying to diversify, that having a strategies that can do well at turning points can be interesting. Um, so from that perspective, interesting just to see, as you touched on, good performance this year, uh, the, the index, short-term traders index up 11.5% or so. You know, this is the kind of month that you would have hoped if you were running a diversified managed futures portfolio where short-term would help you a bit. Uh, now, Darren, I think about 1% on the month. So. You know, even vol adjusted better than trend, but still, you know, maybe not as uh, as good if just looking at the index as you might hope. Um, but that's the, that's the type of environment where where you would be looking for it to, uh, to 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 help you out.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, um, thanks for 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 for, for that. Um, and of course, in your previous uh job, uh, one of the things, from memory at least, uh, I think you were also doing is this. Building kind of um, exposure to our space, having maybe trend as the call, but having these diversifying strategies. But and and it all sounds great on paper. Um, and but if I could push back a little bit because I, as as you kind of alluded to towards the end, um, and I certainly remember after two thousand and eighteen where trend followers really got. Uh, you know, we had a bad. February of 2018, although people forget that we only gave back about half what we had made the previous four months, people completely forget that. So over over a rolling five months period, trend followers were still up a lot. But February on on a standalone basis, it was a tough month, right? Tougher than November of this year for sure. And and I think maybe tra- short-term managers. Uh, did well that month and then that started this whole uh, idea that oh but with all the information that's coming out so quickly markets are reacting instantly so you you definitely would expect short-term trading strategies to do better than longer term trend followers because we're kind of like dinosaurs and we don't react quick enough et etc et etc of course none of that has been proven right and it has never been proven right that short-term strategies are better except and I will complete and I've said this before, there are a few, and I really mean a few, less than five in my, in my opinion, short-term managers who have done well over a long period of time. However, also in fairness, some of them don't just do short-term. They blend the short-term with medium-term or long-term trend following, so it's not pure short-term. In terms of pure short-term managers... I really can't think of many, uh, if any, uh, that have done well uh, over a 20-year period. And and that's just based on facts. It's not really my opinion. It's just I'm looking at the numbers and I'm struggling to see where this beautiful alpha should, you know, is showing up um, and, and I'm not seeing it. It's not that I disagree with you, that maybe they can smooth out some of the returns but but in but if you can live with the volatility, they're going to be a drag on your performance, I think, um, because their returns are not strong enough to make up, you know, uh, well, they certainly can be non uncorrelated, and that's a good thing, but that part does not give enough offset to the fact that their returns generally are far below uh, in the long run of trend followers. And so I would love to find... Uh, that there were more people offering some kind of short term um, that you could blend trend following with, because of course, who wouldn't want to have, um, you know, this smoother ride? We we all want that. It it just doesn't seem to be possible. And and you know, on our side, we've certainly looked at this. Yeah, can you I mean, I, add some shorter term models? Yeah. But every time, every time we 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 conclude on 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 all that research, the conclusion is we can, but it's going to lower our long term returns.
1: Yeah, I think it's very much, I think you're right. It is more manager specific than in the trend space. Um, I think I think as well, you have to be a little bit cautious using the stockchain stock um Short-Term Traders Index as well. There's some compositional impacts there um, in, in which programs are chosen as well. Because um, actually when I ran the numbers on the, the uh, Short-Term Traders Index, it surprised me that the correlation is much higher to trend to, than I expected. Right. It was like about point. Well, this point is because, so.
0: frankly, this is a bit, yeah, and but and there, are this is because- there are
1: cent- certainly there are certainly short-term managers out there who, who, over over time, have run at lower correlation. I would say, you know, you know, you can certainly find point three or less. Um, but but I think one of the things is that with some of these managers, they can do well in periods when trend following is not doing well sometimes, but often you get that kind of good environment for short term is often the same environment that's good for trend following. So you get rising uh, volatility and directional movement at the same time, which is what we've had this year. So, you know, both have benefited from that. Um, I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think it is it is an open question um, because I think the nature of the, Oh, oh, oh. it's not like trend it's not a singular source of return you know momentum and that idea of trend following i think you are betting on the managers being able to unearth those um th- those uh behavioral uh, aspects of the market exactly yeah
0: and there's a lot of model decay, so you kind of need to continue to find new models to take over, et cetera, et cetera. At least that's how I remember some of my early conversations with a few short-term managers. Uh, and Let me just end on this point, and that's uh, which I also think is important, that as I mentioned before, I think there's only very, very few short-term managers where I would say, yeah, th- th- these are good additions to what we do. Um, the problem is that they're easy to spot, meaning they have pretty large AUM already. And if there's one thing that can kill a short-term strategy is if the manager gets greedy in terms of their capacity and outgrow that. That kills alpha pretty quickly. And that's unfortunately also something we've seen in our industry uh, as well. Um, But um, the great thing is, of course, that that it is a very... uh, Innovative and entrepreneurial industry. So, just because we like trend following more, it doesn't mean that, that not a lot of people will try and, and do short term. And, and that's great.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think people inevitably do try and do short term because of, uh, and, and plenty of trend followers have tried it, as you say, and not had a good experience with it because the reason to try it is obviously for those diversification benefits Diversifying. that we spoke about. So, yeah, I so. think uh, for those people who are doing it well, it is valuable. Um, it's just a matter of 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 yeah, being able to pick those managers. Sure.
0: All right. Let's move forward. Are we pretty much at the point where you wanted to have a peek into twenty twenty three? Yeah.
1: I mean, a, a peek in the sense of, um, well, it's that time of year where we're, we're kind of our inboxes are are full with um, people sending out their outlook for 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 next year. Um, so I'm not gonna. Um, try and regurgitate all of the different viewpoints you know it's there's optimists and pessimists and and the whole spectrum i would say and 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 it feels like more optimism as the equity market has gone up you know so price influencing sentiment um i mean i i I did want to talk about kind of the the outlook for managed futures in this context and and trend following and um you know it just struck me at the start of this year or even if you went back to you know the start of last year there was a very compelling case you know it was kind of we we were in a a, you know an environment of extremely low bond yields and uh, at the start of this year most people would have agreed you know elevated equity market uh, valuations so the case for diversification seemed very strong and particularly on the fixed income side you know you know, not, not to say it was easy to predict, but but a lot of people did think that this was a risk that with very low bond yields, duration risk was high. And if you had, uh, you know, a, a tightening cycle that you could get a, a, a decent sell-off in bonds and the possibility of concurrent declines in, in bonds and equities, which is all we've we've seen all that, probably seen, you know, obviously the, the magnitude of the sell-off in bonds maybe has been, uh, you know, uh, certainly... Bigger uh, has been, you know, I wouldn't say surprising, but certainly not predicted by by many people. So I think now, as we head towards, you know, twenty twenty three, I think you will hear different arguments, and and for sure um it's going to be require a new case i think to be made for for managed futures and uh one of the pieces that i did see come out was uh from jp morgan asset management and they do this long-term capital market uh, kind of assumptions or, or projections and uh you know it's quite it was interesting they were saying like lower valuations and higher yields means that asset markets today offer the best long-term returns in more than a decade so so that all sent positive um You know, their forecast for a US dollar 60-40 portfolio over the next 10 to 15 years has jumped from 4.3% to 7.2%. And over the last 25 years, the rolling 10-year return for the 60-40 has been 6.1%. And they say, once again, the 60-40 can form the bedrock of portfolios, while alternatives can offer alpha inflation protection and, and diversification. So i thought it was interesting and i think we're probably going to hear more of this particularly on the fixed income side as i said with yields back up and um you know if if short-term rates in the u.s are at five percent uh, and then with credit spreads on top of that you'll be able to pick up you know presumably six seven percent in in credit etc and um, it did get me thinking as to well do, do those numbers make sense uh from from a 60 40 perspective and then how what kind of return expectations should you have say for, for trend following alongside of that so if you look at the uh um robert Schiller's uh cape that's down to 27.4 now so that has come down from kind of the mid 30s so that's an earnings yield of of about 3.6 percent now I did write that at the start of the month That number um, so and equities are up about five percent. So, if we say the 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 earnings yield is, which is a real number, is three and a half percent, and if you added three percent inflation, because we're saying maybe now the target will be three percent over time, so that would be a nominal return of six and a half percent for equities over the long term. You know, so say over the next ten years, and U.S. ten-year yields are three and a half percent. So that's a a good starting point. Uh, Historically, you know, the, the starting yield has been a good predictor of of the return so that would put the 60 40 at at 5.3 percent so below uh what what we've seen historically not not terrible but but below average um now obviously that's contingent on on that uh you know you could you could have a more pessimistic view on equities or you could have a big compression in, in margin but then the question is you know what would we think about managed futures and trend following return expectations and you know I suppose uh, I'm sure you, I'm sure your compliance people would jump on all, all over you, Niels, if, if you started giving return. I'm being very quiet expectations. here. Expectations, but I suppose allocators, asset allocators, have to think about this. Like, what is a reasonable return expectation? And I suppose one of the things that we have now is higher cash rates. So you know, if you know the return in, in a manager's portfolio is is basically the cash plus the trading return. And you know, 10 year yields are at three and a half percent. So, if you assumed the cash rates on average are going to be three and a half percent over the next 10 years, that would be the starting point. And then you basically add your um, your expected sharp, um, uh, adjusted for or times the, the, the volatility of the program. So, for example, if it was a 12-vol a trend following program, um, at uh a point three sharp, a net sharp that would be three point six added on to your three and a half, and you'd be up to about seven percent. So you know yes, it's true that the um that the sell-off that we've seen in traditional assets means that the forward return expectations are higher, and that's that's not a bad thing. We can all you know hopefully look forward to higher returns in 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 our portfolios because the starting point now means um, uh, better valuations. But from a managed futures perspective, there still is a compelling case because one higher interest rates feeds directly into the return, and we all talk about the tough period in the 2010s for managed futures. But obviously, interest rates averaged, you know, less than 05 percent. I think for 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 negative for, in certain countries. Yeah, obviously, yeah. I'm us. talking from a dollar perspective here. So this is, you know, uh, two possibly two three percent additional returns straight off the bat. Uh, in terms of of, of managed futures, uh, and for many hedge funds, you know, the, the kind of t- strategies. And then it's the question of well, what the environment is. Are we into a, a trendy environment or not? But a conservative, you know, I think a 0.3 net sharp is not being very aggressive. Could be higher, could be lower. Um, but, but even in that type of scenario, I think from a return expectations, you know, you can still say, well, managed futures and trend following, is not just a diversifier, you're not just adding it to kind of dampen the volatility, you're still adding it uh, from the perspective of the returns to look reasonable relative to a, a 60-40 portfolio. And of course, there is the diversification benefit. And what we've obviously seen you know, this year is the fact that you know we could be into an environment now where if from a macro perspective, it's supply sides dominating everything, if it's these periodic supply shocks, you know the positive correlation that we saw between bonds and equities this year could be more of a recurring phenomenon. So then, you know, your sixty forty vol would would be higher in that scenario because you've gone from negative to, to positive correlation. So the 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 the, the value of having um, something uncorrelated that to, is even greater. So I think we, you know, what I'm saying is, start of the year it was very much an argument around you know the fact that you know. Um, traditional assets uh are, valuations were very elevated and and forward returns were 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 likely to be low now you you can you know obviously everybody will have a view on on, on different views on equities and you know my views know better than anybody else's but you know it's fair to say return expectations on a on a kind of a long-term basis are now higher because you've had growth in the economy but the equity market is is down um but at the same time because of the environment we're in with higher rates you know it does look uh, compelling still um for, for for adding managed features and and making that case but it is a slightly different case i, I would say is, is the main point
0: yeah i think well, there's so much to sort of comment on from from what you said first of all let me just sort of uh, uh remind people listening about um just some of the uh, things that i've come across um, which i think is important to note it is when you have when you hear people like Stanley Mill talk about his expectations, right? Because he's such a successful investor, perhaps the most successful investor, really, uh, with his track record. And um, and and when he uh, was interviewed just a couple of weeks ago, um, and I've heard this from other people who have been in the trenches for a long time, and their expectation is that we could have easily a decade where really equities will go net net nowhere. They will fluctuate a lot, but they're net net not going to go anywhere. That's not something we've been used to uh, since the 60s uh, and into the 70s. Um, I uh, I think you make a, a good point. I mean, I think it is important for people to realize that all these high interest rates benefit uh, managed futures investors uh, almost one-to-one, not quite, because some money is parked for margin, but most of the cash just sits there and earn whatever uh, yield you can get, probably 4% in dollar terms now. Uh, so that is a massive Pick up um, that investors get for free, so to speak, um, within the uh, if they invest in a fund, um, a trend following managed futures fund. Um, But I think the most important thing is not so much whether we can deliver a uh, first, and then also I would say, um, and I don't think I will get in trouble by saying that because it's I'm sure it shows up with other managers as well. But what tends to surprise me a little bit is that if I look at our own track record over three very different periods kind of the last 38 years the last 17 18 years and the last 9 years I think are the three periods um that I uh, that I track um and that has to do with some changes to the model some upgrades we've made um actually those three periods even though they're incredibly different the returns are almost the annual annualized and annual annualized return average annualized return is almost identical so I actually think that the adaptability of trend following uh, makes it possible, as long as you zoom out and do, you don't look on month uh, month by month, year by year, uh, but kind of zoom out to a rolling, uh, say, 10-year uh, time frame, you have a lot of consistency, uh, probably more so in trend following uh, than with other strategies, uh, even with equities uh, and even with bonds. Um, but I think still the most important thing is not whether we can deliver you know, X percent return next year or in the next five years. It's the fact that we do it in a non-correlated way, that we can be positively correlated from time to time, negatively correlated when you need it the most, etc., etc. That benefit, I still don't think is fully um, internalized by a lot of investors, how much that really benefits. And by the way, let me just throw in something completely left field here, because you talked about, how at the beginning of this year, um, it was fairly easy. I, I I think that's fair to say. I think it was easy for people to see that they probably should be worried about their fixed income portfolio at zero percent interest rates, um, even for you know hundred year bonds that were sold for you know marginal positive interest rates. Right. Nevertheless, uh, I just saw in the paper I think last week that the largest public pension plan in Denmark called ATP at the end of Q3 of this year have managed to lose 47.5%. I mean, okay, it just tells you how the most obvious thing to many people still doesn't necessarily mean that the most professional or at least they should be the most professional investors um, make rational decisions. And I've seen it also, I think it was CalPERS that came out earlier this year saying, yeah, we're going to increase the leverage. <laughs> we're going to increase the leverage because we need more returns, right? And we know from the UK side that these um, um, things, you know, leverage again came up as an issue uh, during the guild sell-off uh, only a few weeks ago. So I'm not so sure what the future... I, I, well, I'm, I'm positively not sure what the future will hold, and I see uh, in the coming uh, years still the risk of some massive um, problems in pen- in the pension fund sector and other long-only, especially long-only uh, traditional investments with leverage uh, type of portfolios. I-, I just think that we're just at the beginning of something we've not seen before. Uh, and I share the view of Simon Hunt and Peter Zion and all the other guests that we've had on who basically um, talks about the fact that this era of stability, of predictability, of um, of a world where we trade with each other without um, too much concern, um, I do think it's over Um but I don't know what it fully means uh, in terms of, of the markets, but I just think it means that at least it's not going to be the same strategies that work so well for 20 years. I don't think it's going to be the same strategies doing well when the regime is kind of the opposite. And 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 uh, that's why I think people probably need uh, active, adaptive, long-short, that fully diversified strategies more than any
1: time in the last 20 years. Yeah, I don't disagree. What are you going to say to that? I don't then? disagree. No, I mean, I think you're right. It's just um like coming back to what we heard from Bill White, you know, it's uh he said you could you can tell a story about um hyperinflation, you can tell a story about deflation. Um, you know, it's like the the, the economic system is an adaptive uh, complex adaptive system. We don't know, you know, we I, a lot of this stuff um The BIS has been writing about has been, you know, the shadow system, the shadow banking system. We don't really know, you know, in theory, the banks don't have as much exposure. It's passed into investors now. So in theory, it doesn't, it shouldn't be as toxic if you get blow ups, but who knows, you know, and and Bill White was making the point that the security blanket of, of access to bailouts, you know, has been extended from banks now to pension funds, you know. You know, people were looking for FTX to even, fall under that category as well. well you know, so where will know, it end? We
0: we don't we don't even know, Helen, what it means when central banks start losing money every every month, right? When you know, because of their you know, uh, just because of the, the the amount of interest they have to pay um, on the bonds they issue. I mean, it's a crazy world. Who knows? F- one final point that I just want to end up. With, um, and then you can sort of round it off if you have anything more you want to add. It's just because sometimes people ask us uh, when they see um, when we talk about sort of these diversified portfolios. We talked about how well trend following blends with equities, and you should just basically go 50 50 and. And uh, and then you'll be fine, and and which I kind of agree with uh, to a large extent. Um, but then people sometimes come back and say, well, you know, do you then have to do monthly rebalancing, quarterly, biannual, or annual rebalancing? So uh, I actually did a little bit of a study where I took on um, the um, you know I just blended fifty-fifty the S and P without our strategy. Uh, and of course, people know for compliance reasons, I can't talk about the returns per se. Um, but what I can say is that it makes so little difference whether you rebalance yearly, or it has, I should say it has, historically since 1984, made almost no difference whether you rebalance yearly or um, or every month. Um, I think there's like half a percent different on the or 40 basis points difference only, Uh, in favor of the monthly rebalancing um, when you uh, look at the period from 1984 all the way to to this year. um, And if you look at it for the last sort of 10 years, uh, it's like 28 basis points in favor of the monthly rebalancing. So I would call that uh, not material. Uh, And so if people think, yeah, if I I can probably do it once a year, um, then they should be fine. They don't need to... Try to perfect uh, these things. Uh, it's more important to get the exposure to non-correlated return streams than it is whether you rebalance monthly or quarterly or, or annually. Um, but I just want to throw that out there that it's actually um, supported by the data. Anything else um, that you um, that you had on your?
1: Um... No, nothing. Uh, just on the rebalancing point. Yeah, I I, I have looked at the different timeframes, but I mean it is something valuable about the diversifying strategies or uncorrelated strategies as you say and it's it's something that came up in the allocator series as we talked to 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 uh some allocators you know having strategies that you can that they can perform when equities are doing badly and then you have that ability to to trim them and go in and buy assets that are marked down in, in value It can be hugely valuable and it's uh you know the, rather than having to Deliver your portfolio, you've actually got something performing well that, 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 that naturally allows you the opportunity to take advantage of, of um, you know, uh, of lower valuations. You know, people often think in terms of the statistical benefit kind of enhancing the sharp or dampening the vault, but there is that tangible benefit of where you can rebalance, take profits on, on, on your diversifier and then go in and actually take advantage of, of lower valuations. So I think that's, that's an important point
0: yeah maybe just to finish off with uh let me just say that uh, i think yesterday i received from spotify they they do this Um, thing for podcasts where they send out uh, to each podcast like a little wrap of what happened in 2022 then they show how much your uh, audience grew and and, and so on and so forth and I just want to say a big thank you to everyone uh, uh, listening to us uh, every week Um, the support has been tremendous Um, we've had I think on all platforms uh, a a great uh, level of growth and of course that's all thanks to uh, you know you supporting it sharing it it's down to the great work that all the co-hosts are doing every week, preparing something new and hopefully insightful that we can share with you. Um, so I'm I'm really grateful um, to to everyone on that. Next week I'm joined by Rob, um, so make sure you send in your questions uh, for that episode. Uh, as usual, the email is info at toptradersunplugged and we'll do our best to. Uh, to get those uh, answered we are recording in just a few days uh, kind of our group conversation uh, not with everyone there's a couple of people who can't make it um, but we are going to be a great group uh, recording early next week so if you do have a question for us and uh, that i can consider including in the lineup um, then by all means uh, you could send it through probably those uh, topics should be something that uh, I would say, is um, relevant for 2022 as a whole, not how you do ATR calculations or anything like that. Um, but that would, of course, be perfect if anyone anyone had a, a question we could answer. From Alan and me, thanks ever so much for listening. We look forward to being back with you next week. And in the meantime, as usual, take care of yourself and take care of each other.